Hi, my name is Rogelio Garcia from Oro Restaurant in Napa Valley, and you're listening to Ingredient Insiders. This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be speaking with chefs and food writers about their favorite ingredients. We then speak to the producer of that ingredient to learn its history, how it's made, and why chefs love to use it in their restaurants. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject. It's almost going to be a little bit scientific, I think. Um, We're talking about dry-aged beef today, and I'm pretty excited about this one. Absolutely. I mean, dry-aged beef, I think, you know, I've learned a lot about it through my years at Chef's Warehouse, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think you either really like it or, or you don't. There's dry age, there's wet age. Yeah. Are you, do you, so do you like dry aged beef? I do like dry aged beef. I don't like it when it's, I think sometimes it can be de- taken too far and you mm-hmm. lose the beef flavor and you're just kind of tasting the funk. Mm-hmm. For me, that's not pleasant. I still want to be able to taste the steak. Right. So, you know, for me, yes. What about you? I love dry aged beef. I also love wet aged beef. I mean, yeah. I just, I guess I love beef. Um, in particular, we're going to be talking about Katie, with Katie Flannery today of Flannery Beef. Yep. This is a family-run uh, butcher in Northern California. They do dry-aged beef that, to me, is some of the best in the world. Some of the best. It's, you know, to your point about sometimes dry-aged beef is very intense, very minerally, very funky, not to everyone's liking. When you try their beef... To me, the Flannery dry-aged beef, for whatever reason, and I, I'm sure we're going to find out after talking to them, it's just more intense beef flavor to me and not so much funky. Right. And I really love that. So I guess I'm kind of like you. I don't want something that's overly funky, but if it's really like amped up beef yeah. flavor, I'm all in. I think sometimes people, they like, or chefs, maybe they like to put, oh, 28-day age or 45-day age when really... It might not even need that much age. And it's really like, let's try the actual beef itself and then make the decision yeah. versus just maybe like a trend of putting dry aged beef on your menu. Yeah. We're also going to have an amazing chef, Rogelio Garcia, who's from the Four Seasons in Napa Valley. Yep. And he just earned a Michelin star. Um, I just learned that. And so he's great. He he, he loves dry aged beef and... Um, Yeah, he grew up in Napa. Now he's working in Napa. So so. this is going to be a real fun episode. Lots to learn. Talking all about dry-aged beef. This season of Ingredient Insiders is brought to you by Bazzini Nuts. Bazzini is the brand of choice among chefs in the finest hotels and restaurants. Their legacy of quality extends to gourmet retail stores, specialty boutiques, grocery distributors, and delis, ensuring you have access to their extensive range of consumer retail packages. It all started in 1886 when Italian immigrant Anthony L. Bazzini began selling nuts by the pound to bakers, street vendors, and individuals during the Great Depression. But Bazzini Nuts isn't just about peanuts. They offer a delightful array of nuts like cashews, almonds, pecans, pistachios, hazelnuts, and more, plus a tempting selection of dried fruit, including apricots, cranberries, figs, dates, prunes, and tomatoes. So whether at the ballpark, in the kitchen, or indulging in some well-deserved self-care, 
Choose Bazzini Nuts. With a legacy spanning 137 years, they're here to serve your needs with the same consistency, reliability, and quality, making them an iconic name in the world of nuts and dried fruits. Bazzini Nuts, tradition, quality, and taste all in one. Taste the legacy today. This episode is in partnership with the Chef's Warehouse and produced by Gotham Production Studios in New York City. What a treat today, Andrea. We are in the studio in NYC, and it's you know why it's a treat? Because someone flew all the way from California to sit with us this morning. We are delighted to welcome Rogelio Garcia from the Four Seasons Napa Valley, based in Calistoga. I can only imagine how beautiful this hotel is in your restaurant. You're going to have to send us some pictures so we can pictures. dream. Pictures. I want him to invite us to the hotel <laughs> yeah. to do some kind of Friends and family. special event or something. <laughs> Done. Awesome. Thank you for being yeah. here. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, Thank this you. is a Thank really you. great thing. We're going to talk about dry-aged meats today. But before we even go there, yeah. Rogelio, tell us a little bit about your career you grew up in California. I did. How did you, and now you have one of the nicest chef positions probably in the country, being based at a Four Seasons Hotel. Your first Michelin star. I know. Napa, and congratulations <sighs> on that journey. too. Wow. Yeah. So much to talk about. Where did it all start for you? Like, do, who who are some of your mentors? And So I think, well, first of all, thank, thanks guys for, you know, allowing me to come. I sure. think it's super exciting. And it's such good weather in New York right now. Oh, it's like, perfect. Yeah. This is fall in New York. Is it? Yeah, yeah this I'm, is like the... Crisp, yep, no yeah. humidity. It feels not like too California cold. a little bit. Yeah, we you just seen yeah. a light jacket. I know. I yeah, know. New York I, I, gets this kind of nice weather for about three weeks of the yep. year in yeah. September, October. If you're lucky, mm-hmm. I mean, I brought a beanie, a scarf, and you know, yeah. pico, and I don't think I need it. You if know? you stay a week, maybe I'll use all. Uh, of those. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I mean, I started. My mother's an amazing cook. My grandmother, um, she used to cook for students uh, when you know at a school, and she uh, had to have different a menu every day of the week. And I think my mother picked some of those traits. And I seen my mother. Obviously, she's an amazing cook. As I grew up, classic Mexican uh, food. Love it. Uh, we, you know, she was born in Mexico City, and I was born in Mexico City. And then we came to the states when I was very young. Um, landed in Los Angeles, and then eventually made the move to Northern California. I have aunts and uncles that worked in restaurants and in the fields, and um, and I think when I was 15, walked into a restaurant, my first job, and got the bug, and that's how I- That was I, it? That was it. That's how I started. That's fantastic. Yeah. Going from rice and beans to caviar and lobster, and uh, it, just, it just changed for me, and I wanted to do it for the rest of my I life. I love it. Yeah. Was there like a particular kitchen that you were in, or like a moment where it all kind of like came together, and it was like, this is my going to be my career? Yeah. So when we, I remember driving up to from Los Angeles- my aunt lived behind um, the French Laundry, like in a, this apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And so, at the time when you when we were driving up, you know, we didn't have any GPS. You had to print out the sheets and mm-hmm. MapQuest and, and do MapQuest. Yeah. And so, my mother, you know, we were we landed in Yountville and we were lost. And she's like, you know, can you get out of the car? And like, I think that that restaurant is open. Can you ask him for directions? And so here, I get out of the car and I open the door and I see. Uh, this restaurant with you know these these waiters that have these suits and ties and it's all this copper and paintings on the wall and and I walk in and this this young lady um, to the right and, I, and she was the hostess and I said hey like looking for this this address she's like well it's around the corner and you know and then I read the sign and it said Bouchon 
Um, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. The smell, the, you know, the pots and pans, like all this stuff that was happening. And um, I was like, wow, this this could be a thing that I can, that I can do. And then eventually got my first job in Yonville at this massive uh, resort uh, where we used to do banquets of like a thousand weddings, celebrations, anniversaries. And I was a dishwasher at the time and uh, I was going to high school and then eight hour shift and did that until I graduated. And then fully went on. I had I had two boys. So I, had, I had two sons, uh, eighteen and nineteen, Daniel and Christian. And I think that just solidified to me, just you know, taking it even more serious and just. Do they cook? Uh, we've done a ton of events together. I don't think they want to do it professionally, but mm-hmm. I, I've always invited them to like what I do. And I have photos of them like shucking peas when they were like five and six, or cooking for eight hundred people um, at an event that we did. It was super easy, like paellas and chickens. But uh, there's amazing, amazing boys. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Did your mom let you cook when you were young? Did you join her in the kitchen or your grandmother? Yeah, yeah, they did. You know, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I tried to experiment. You know, like I remember, I remember making this pasta where I, I was, I was, I was just grabbing the spices out of the kitchen. I, I, I was trying to be fancy, and I added too much juniper berries to one of the pastas, and like she was like, you know, this is, this is not good. I think you gotta, you gotta, you know, continue to, to work on it, but. Um, I, I would help her to like do, you know, chiles rellenos, which is a classic dish. She, she, that's one of her like favorite and my favorites. Um, she used to make flan. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to make uh, these uh, almost patties, like potato patties um, that my grandmother kind of passed the recipe to her. Um, and yeah, I mean, we used to cook together and um, but she worked all the time. She was a nurse, a single mother. So all the moments that she had, like during the holidays, we, we, I was just treasured on because, you know, we would know, we would never know when she was going to be back again. So, yeah. Do you feel like you bring um, the recipes, the flavors of you, like your upbringing to the dishes that you make today? Yeah. I, you know, it's harder. People always ask me, well, what kind of cuisine do you, yeah. do, do you, like what is your style? What is your style? And then I said, well, I'm Mexican, right? Um, but, but I'm Mexican American. But I don't see uh, as a, as a, me as a Mexican that grew up in in Mexico. Like my lens is is a Northern California chef, so it's a, it's f- and mostly fine dining. Like I've always worked in fine dining, uh, and so there's slight like bits on the tasting menu from Mexico, Japan, uh, Italy. Um, we just call that wine country cuisine, just because it's uh, like a French style tasting menu. But there's all this. Um, I love to like just explore what's good out there. Like if there's rice from Italy that we can use, we'll use it. Masa from Mexico, we'll use it. We'll tap into like the fish from Japan and use it. I just think whatever's great out there that we can track down and tell a story uh, is what I enjoy. And I think that's been such an amazing you know, thing to do for the restaurant. Tell us about your restaurant at the Four Seasons. You just got a Michelin star. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, man, what, a, what a journey. Thank that's, you. That's Thank awesome. You. Did you know that they don't call you anymore when you get the star? They always call me when I get. I mean, I, I know you have like a million my, stars. Whenever I get my stars, they call me. <laughs> but I, we were like chatting before this, and I was like, "Was it the best phone call of your life?" And Rahelia was like, "They don't call you anymore," which yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know they ever called anybody. But well, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody. Well, I think they used to call. So they yeah. used to get a call. Yeah. Uh, and they used to call the chef, and they would say, "You know, congratulations," or whatever yeah. that was. Uh, and now uh, we just get. I got an invite, and. Um, well, we got added to the to the to the portal, yeah. Um, and so we didn't know what was happening, and then we were like, "Are we getting one? Or are we not?" Because it was kind of like a review, but like an an addition. So we we didn't know. 
And then we get an invite to the the actual gala, and I was like, okay, well, what is this? What does this actually mean? And then I had to do an interview with them, uh, like a couple of weeks after that. And then as the gala came up, you know, uh, there's all this media, and but you don't know. And then mm-hmm. you're sitting down in in the auditorium, and it's literally like a BT award and Oscar show. It's like, and they call your name out, and you're up on stage. But until they call it, like I didn't even, I didn't know. And I was like, am I going to get one or am I going to like walk out of here very embarrassed that I didn't get right. it? I got an invite and I'm not going to get anything. So, no, but it was it was such a like surreal moment. You, you, I think for me, like it's all, it was always a dream. It was always a dream to be able to, to, to get it. And um, I mean, words can't express the feeling that you get. And as you're walking out of the auditorium and like all these chefs are like saying congratulations and all that stuff, there was a chef that kind of shook my hand and said, oh, because he, he asked one and he's like, I, 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 I'm so jealous of that feeling again, you know, because you retain it, but it's not like the first one, yeah. like, like the fun. first time. What a great honor. So let's talk about dry aging meats. Yes. Um, this is something that you're, you're doing in-house, correct? Uh, well, when we dry meats, we do them in, we use uh, a couple producers. Okay. Um, I think Flannery's the main one that yep. we use. Flannery Beef, Flannery just beef. down the road in San Rafael. It, it, yeah. Is that uh, up the road or down the road? It's uh, up the road. Up the road. Up the road. Yeah. Got to get my- uh, <laughs> Get your bearings. My, my NorCal bearings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, so we use them. Um, amazing. Brian and Katie are incredible people. Um, I used to live around the corner, actually. So during the pandemic, I used to do pri- private private dinners, yeah, um, just to get busy as everything was shut down. And he would let me go into the facility and like choose what I wanted to use for that for that for that event. Um, awesome people. Yeah. We're Incredible. actually going to have Katie on uh, after you and oh, nice. talk to her about uh, their whole process. Yeah, she's a real a mold enthusiast. She's a yeah. <laughs> she's way into her bacteria and molds yeah. and. Um, so that'll be a fun conversation, but t- so dry age beef, mm-hmm. I always think of it as like an East coast thing. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. I don't know. Like steakhouses for me are like East coasty. Oh. That yeah, yeah. flavor that is very like, it's particular and certain yeah. people love it and certain people don't. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I- I'm curious as a California chef, what does dry age mean to you? It's a great question. And kind of, uh. You know, let's talk about that yeah. a little bit. Well, I, I think I think it's an it's such an artistry with anything else, right? I think when you serve the steak, right, to anybody who's not doesn't understand it, it, it they may think it's just like a steak, right? But it, it takes time to age mm-hmm. it, right? Like it takes. I mean, I think the sweet spot, I think for for like a like a I guess somebody who's is not totally you know experienced in that in those flavors, I think maybe like. 18 days I would say. Okay. Um but but it's 18 days that it has to sit, right? So that's 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 18 days that before you even like you start talking about how, like the cattle and how it's, you know, slaughtered and all those all that practice is already 18 days before it even hits the plate. And so I think it's it's one of those things that I love because just the fact that the time has to be there um and patience before it hits the plate is, is one of the things that i look for on, on especially with producers is 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 what they do right and um it's just like a tomato like right? the, the amount of time that it takes it's it's an incredible artistry to me and mm-hmm. so um but i think it's um the flavor is like it's almost like charcuterie blue cheese kind of goes mm-hmm. great with cabernets and uh-huh. like 
you know, wines from France and I I love that. Um, but I know for some people it might be like a little off putting. Um, it's tender as well. Um, and I just think it's the minute I tasted it or, you know, as I was becoming more experienced with that kind of those kind of flavors, it was incredible to, to, to use it. So um, and I've been to the facility. The minute you open the doors and you see, I don't know if you guys, if, if you ever I had been. the opportunity, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Like, it's like you walking open, through a maze, there. it is, and it just hits you. That does that, the like, smell like hit you when you open, like when you soon, walk in? Yeah, yeah, as oh, soon. And like I love funk. that smell. Yeah. What I find interesting about Flannery, though, is their beef, rather than becoming like overly minerally right. and what I call like really funky, mm-hmm. which I tend to find in New York or East Coast yep. dry age, theirs to me becomes beefier. Yeah, And I do agree also, it gets a little bit of that like blue cheese right, right. aspect to it, but it's not like this hard minerally metallic It's not kind overpowering of the beef? No, it no, makes no. it more intensely beef flavored yeah. if that yeah. sounds... Yeah, that's, yeah, for sure. That was my impersonation. Sure. I love the Flannery beef because so of that. So good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about something that I think I'm starting to see a little mm-hmm. bit more and more of is dry aging of fish, oh. which you're doing at your yeah. restaurant. Yeah. That's it's why you're here in New York, that, right? Like, that's right. Exactly. I think it's almost like counterintuitive to yeah, a lot of people. I don't like, understand. People think like fresh fish, mm-hmm. catch it, serve it the day it came out of the water. Yep. That's right. the best of the best. And I went to Japan a couple years ago. And even at a sushi restaurant, I was like, oh, the fish is the freshest, the fish is the freshest. And this amazing sushi chef was like, no, 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 I age my fish here. Right. I was like, oh, Doesn't that sound wrong when so someone weird. says that? Yeah, because you think fish- Yeah, should be like fresh, fresh. The fresher, right. the fresher. Right. Talk just about dry aging fish. And so like, the first time that I had it was at, at a restaurant I was working at at the time. Uh, it's probably like 12 years ago. And they, we would dry uh, bluefin tuna. So uh-huh. we were wrapping it in this like fish towel. Um, yeah. And then we would- put it on ice and we would let it sit for about a week and came out was like almost this purple outside and you kind of take it's similar to beef you take mm-hmm. that off you trim that off trim that off but all the um tendons would would be super like they were they were almost like be so they would te- it'd be super tender yeah um and so that was like a like a the beginning of it and then uh, I work with uh, Lee Wei um, from the joinery in Los Angeles, and he mm-hmm. does an amazing job to dry the fish. So he does turbo for us. He does amberjack, kampachis, um, black cod. Uh, right now we use a fish that's wild called kinky from Japan. Mm-hmm. Kinky, Andrea. Kinky, yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Who doesn't want a kinky <laughs> I fish? I want a kinky fish. <laughs> and, Did you say, uh, when we were chatting, you said scallops even? Scallops, you can do scallops. So the, the fish purveyor actually does the aging he does the aging he's got all the, the temperature control rooms and stuff like oh. that and then we'll, we'll send it to us and then we'll, we'll keep them with the heads down uh-huh. um on, on, on our on our walking and um and we'll just you know that's very cool right. i've yeah. never heard of that I, so most yeah. of the, it's a, it's my a, experience with this is like, like in house i've heard the chefs right. are you know yeah. putting yeah. it and aging it themselves yeah, yeah, yeah and i think it's it, i mean it's incredible just the what we, we've done side by side tasting like scallops mm-hmm. creamy there's no water content in it. You're able to sear them better. Uh-huh. Um, usually when it hits the pan, you get you get all this water. Yep, just and it's caramelizes, all, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's about 10% that you lose. Yeah. Um, you but said the, the skin doesn't stick? It doesn't stick. So, so when you do like bronzino and you try to grill it, it'll stick. That yep. skin is super thin and it'll stick to the grill. With this one, you get this leathery skin and, it, and you, could, you could almost like slide it on the grill or on a pan, yep. very little oil, and it has these like bursts that come out of it, almost like a chicharron. 
How many yeah. days are people aging? Uh, we'll, we'll do seven to 10. Uh-huh. You can get away with like 12, 14 days as well. Wow. Um, and I think that's about that's about the max, but it's just so tender. Yeah. And so I guess the like pro, the fibers, or I don't say fibers, but the break down. Down. meat starting to break down, right. and tenderize. Just just like yeah. just like beef. It's like yeah. you're taking you know a big stock pot and reducing all the way down. It just concentrates so much, and uh, it's so tasty and flavorful. And you know, man, I tried it. I never wanted to go back. Like all the age that we, all the fish that we use for oral, it's it's all dry age. Do you tell that story on the menu? We do or at the yeah. restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's funny because you know we'll we'll you know we'll have a joke kind of going around. Like, is it seven days? Because we'll get the fish in on a Wednesday, and it's seven days, and then we'll we'll at eight days on Thursday, nine days. You know, so it'll be like you like we'll, change the menu like every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. So, um, just to be you know exact, yeah. but but it's it's just oh, it's one of those things where it's an upcoming. Uh, technique uh, definitely traces back to Japan and um, it's just there's a lot of benefits to it you know the cookery is incredible um, I think black cod was is such a winner for me because the skin is super crispy and then the the oils just come out like mm-hmm. instead of instead of the water content that you, you get those oils that come out and it's it's so so tasty a more intense fish flavor right but in, not in the right way right. like it's not like you're tasting the cod. Exactly. Got it. Right. Same thing with scallops and amberjacks. And um, yeah, so those are the fish. Turbo is incredible as well. Um, and, and then halibut we'll use as well. Salmon, another another winner. Um, Have you seen it on any New York menus, John? I haven't seen it listed as dry age. Neither yeah. have I. I went to visit a restaurant in Florida a couple of years ago, and the chef showed me he had he bought this dry aging box, mm-hmm. like a meat dry aging box, right. but he had fish hanging in it. Exactly. And I was like, wow, this yeah. is interesting. I had yeah. not really yeah. seen this before. But then, you know, the sushi, as I mentioned earlier, the sushi restaurants or the Japanese restaurants mm-hmm. have done this for a long time. Yeah. Right. Unbeknownst to me, right. I always thought, again, fresher was better. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, wrapping things in kombu and letting them age for a long That's time right. and doing certain kind of other, you know, maybe uh, brushing with vinegar, preserving right. and all these yeah. other things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it is really kind of cutting edge. Interesting. Yeah. Now, one thing it doesn't do, as far as I know, is get develop like the molds like dry aged beef. It doesn't. On the no, outside. no, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you don't do it right. Yeah. Then it could be it could be dangerous, just like everything else. Yeah. So if you see mold on the fish. Yeah. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. We should just we should uh, make an intro <laughs> to Katie Flannery and see what she comes up with. She'll get these like green moldy crusts yeah. on salmon, yeah. and she'll be like, "You're wrong, Andrea. Yeah. You can eat the mold." Yeah, but you know, like, uh, but it's been like bonito. It's a, it's a, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, that's a, that's all the way. That's that's it's it's a beefy so, almost. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. Right? So we it's been done before, uh-huh. except that this is um, just almost like you know, just that sweet spot of like seven to ten days. But like Bonito's been around since I started cooking. Yeah, uh, I mean, even China. You go to like, like some of the you know the China markets, and they have like octopus this dry, this aged, sure, it's super dry, and all these kinds of fishes that you know. Uh, well, let's been talk using. about. I mean, I'm Italian. Cod and bacala. Oh, yeah. Like this oh, there is you go. That's right. Cod, yeah, dried till it's basically has to be reconstituted. Yeah. Exactly, and soaked and right. all that stuff. So we'll use we'll use that we'll use like um. You know, we'll do like like salmon mm-hmm. and age it all the way in a dehydrator, and then wow. and then spin it. So we'll season salmon with salmon. So we will make like a salt blend, blend it with salt. Um, so so you're actually in New York to do an event tonight for right. Aura King Salmon. Yeah, are you going to do a dry age? 
Uh, we're doing a, they're doing a demo tonight. Yeah. Um, they're going to break down a Taiji or a King Taiji, uh-huh. which is the like three, four times the size of a regular salmon. Uh, and yeah, all, we, we got here last night around three. We ate at this Cambodian spot in uh, Lower East Side. And then we um, got back to the rooms at around midnight. And then we went, we got up, uh, ready to hit the, 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 what the Fulton market. The Fulton mm-hmm. Fish Market, yeah. Fish Market at 4 a.m. Uh, we were there and then we went to Russ and Daughters uh, for breakfast. Uh, this is incredible. It was it was so good to see all those all those people there and like uh, we went to the um produce market as well. Uh-huh. What a massive production that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I I, did, I was telling Andrea about the amount of uh, refrigerated food trucks that there are. It was like yeah. it had to be like 80 to 100. Yeah. Just ready to go everywhere. And the guy is the, he's like the main guy in charge of it. He was super pumped and excited to show us chefs, right? Like, this is my cooler for onions. This is the cooler for the apples. Yeah. And we get these from Mexico. And when Mexico's closed, we go to like Chile. And then, so he's, you know, like Central Valley, you know, California, we're getting this. And if we can't get it there, we'll go to Idaho. So he's just like, again, somebody who's so passionate about what he does that he's got these, you know, 12 chefs in front of him just ready to like explain what he what, what he does and it's it's incredible to, yeah. when you meet I'm, somebody like I'm that. I'm glad you got the opportunity to see the Hunts Point yeah. market. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's incredible, it's incredible. And you also have a cookbook coming out, right? I do, oh. I do, I do. Tell it's, us about uh, the cookbook. So the cookbook, um, so it started in the pandemic. We went to, um, it was an idea and we worked on it for probably like, like probably like three months and then we scratched it. We're like, we're gonna start again. We didn't like it. And then we redid it again. Um, we signed with an agent, um, and then she kind of guided us. We, we were on the contract with her for a year, um, and a, probably a year to date, uh, we were about to give up. We were like, we can't find anybody to sign us. Like it's just it's so difficult. And then we got two offers, and then we went to a local um, one in in um, in Northern California. And then we kept going. So when the book is released, it's um, it's going to be about four and a half years project, four and a half wow. year project. Wow, good for so you. So when, when we started, I asked everybody, I was like, how long is this going to take, you know? And it was like, well, it'll take you five to seven years. And I said, no way. I, I can probably crush it in like like a Six year. Six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, a typical chef, you yeah. know? And no, like it's a lot of work. You know, there's a, there's a full team of, you know, like a ghostwriter, editors, photography, uh, recipe tester uh, I mean you name it there's just so many so many and um, but it's such an incredible feeling right now we're just at the end uh, I have another 30 photos to go um, and it's uh, yet to be released in uh, September 16th which is Mexican Independence Day nice. so the book is called Convivir um, and it's uh, it translates to uh, uh, cooking or mingling with each other um, and I think after everything you know we're able to come you know kind of no matter where you where you're from uh, history, ethnicity, religion, all that stuff. We were able to kind of come together on a plate. Uh, and the recipes are from Mexico, like classic recipes from Mexico. We, want, we wanted people to, you know, cook on, you know, on Sunday when they're at home and, and take it and use it and not to be like, we got to take water from the ocean and cook these clams there and all this stuff that it was too, like almost like unreachable when we were approachable. Yeah. Um, and it's just super exciting to. Awesome. That, yeah, so when project. is it next September? September 16th, 2024. All right. Love it. Yeah, yeah. So amazing. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. You've had like quite the year. It's been exciting. It's been exciting, you know, to, to you know, to do all these projects. But I'm just, I just feel like so blessed and lucky. You know, as you know, we ask 
you know, you have two kids, so I'm assume I'm assuming you cook at home. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. ask all the chefs, what are the five pantry staples that you cannot live without? When you have kids. Do you cook at home? I do. Are you too busy? Okay. No, no, no. I, I, cook, I cook at home. And I think, I, so. Um, Not just for kids. For Like, what are the five things that you need at all times, no matter what? At all times. Yeah, um, this is going to be good. So always have to have a piece of bread. Like, okay. like some sort of good, good, good bread. Um, tomatoes. I love tomatoes. Avocado. Yeah. Uh, rice. You mm-hmm. always have to have rice. Yeah. And then just any fruit that's in season, like figs, yeah. um, stone fruits, apples, uh, pomegranates like so because you can make a lot of stuff with that you know uh sandwich you can make breakfast i mean you can make a fruit plate uh, I, I i can eat an avocado with olive oil just like oh, that yeah. and yeah. salt so i think those are the those are my favorite i love that yeah that was a good that's a great one. northern california answer. isn't it it's yeah like, that's, it's, it's it is. you're right i think that's yeah, yeah. all the like new york olive oil salt right i liked his yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Thank Rogelio you. Garcia, Oro Restaurant at the Four Seasons in Healdsburg. I, we, Andrew, we have to go oh, yes. find some reason to get I to think that we can restaurant. find a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you so a tour. awesome. Thank yeah, you, Rogelio. Yeah. Thanks Thank for you being with us. Thank you. It was amazing. Thanks for having me. I when I say like I usually always start these shows saying like I'm so, so excited, excited with right. this guest and what we're gonna talk about. But today like a special guest. What's more than like excited? What's the right word? Like I'm super excited. Elated. I am elated. I'm ecstatic. Ecstatic, that's, that's a great what word. I am. We are here in California today mm-hmm. with and this is her new I don't know if you've been called this before, but we are here with the dry age queen of beef. Katie Flannery. Is that a good nickname? Is that, I think it's I like a great that. nickname. Do you like it? I'll take it. You know what? I've been called worse. <laughs> if you don't know... Okay, so let me give a little background here. Katie Flannery and her father, Brian, run a company based in San Rafael, California called Flannery Beef. Mm-hmm. And they do a very specific type of beef. I don't want to talk too much about it because Katie's going to tell us about it. Yep. But they do dry-aged beef. And Katie is so into how they make the dry-aged beef. In June, Mm -hmm. I went to visit Flannery Beef in San Rafael. Katie's Mm -hmm. there with her butcher coat on. It's like a chic butcher look, too. It's not like- It's not like a standard. No, this is not chic. It's not chic. No, it's chic. It's a good butcher look. (laughs) I was with my friend Matt Phillips. He's like, she's awesome. Like, this is like, we we had the best time. But she took us into the dry-aging room, Mm -hmm. and she was like, going to show us what the secret ingredient was and she had little petri dishes growing all different types of mold and me and matt were just like this is absolutely the coolest thing so katie tell us i mean i don't even know where to start well let's talk a little bit about the family history you're a third generation butcher third generation butcher yeah so my grandfather basically his first job um, as a teenager was sweeping the floors in a butcher shop in san francisco in the city itself. In the city itself. Yeah. Um, the market was called Grant Market. And so he pretty much rose through the ranks to the point where he took over the shop. But he was trained in butchery from a pair of French brothers. And so he trained in the European style of butchery, which is a little bit different than how we do it in America. And also what they did back then was a lot of dry aging. 
And so they would bring in whole carcass, they would dredge in-house, um, move whole animal, which in today's industry is really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, they had a single butcher shop in San Francisco moving 30 head a week, which is insane. The amount of yeah. ground beef, pot roasts. They had, they had one employee whose single job was to produce corned beef. Five days a week. Wow. wow. That's it. That's all you do. Is this like the 1950s, 1960s? 50s, 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was the day dad will tell the story better, you know, because it's a little bit more his era. But, you know, when you had the the wife of the household, you mm-hmm. know, jump on the trolley car and go out to the market and buy everything they needed for a week, you know. And so you had a lot more, I guess, like stew style meat consumption sure. in those days. People did a lot of pot roasts, much more so than they did nowadays, which... Yeah is you know you're able to do when you're doing whole cattle and there's a flannery beef that still exists in san francisco but that's not connected to you it's guys. called brian's market uh-huh. i believe it's i should know the exact name yeah. but it's brian's and it's in laurel village in san francisco and it's still run by my two uncles mm-hmm. and actually interestingly enough my cousin has just joined there as well so now she's a third generation mm-hmm. in the the beef industry in the city. So my dad split from the family, opened a retail shop in Marin County, um, had, you know, a gorgeous butcher case, some high-end deli foods. But again, the the focus for dad was always on trying to find the best quality of beef that he could. And so he was always kind of looking for the top, you know, what is hands down the best you can get your hands on. And then how do you make it better mm-hmm. through the dry aging process and then through the butchery? There are not many women in the meat world i would say i mean there's a a handful i think of so was this something that you've always wanted to do since you've grown up or like no did you have dreams of working absolutely not okay no no i tried to get as far away from my family as i could um i studied art history in college thank you very much i failed chemistry twice twice in a row so i am not like a scientific person in any way shape or form um but i got pulled back into the family business after the 2008 economic downturn it really hit dad's retail business i didn't know what i was doing in college like asking my parents to pay for a degree in art history that was a big ask so dad basically said hey look why don't you take a year off come back i want to start a website why don't you help me figure out how to sell beef online and do a crash course in business that way. Teach yourself. Yeah. Um, and I jumped at the opportunity and fell in love with it that way um, and just kind of took it and ran with it. Wow, that's amazing. So yeah. you came in from this, uh, from a totally different angle. I would have expected like, oh, you were standing by dad at the butcher right. table and he handed you a knife and then said, You were like Here, putting meat in the grinder. This is, yeah, this is the food, no, make the no, hamburgers. No, no, I mean, the, that's the problem, I guess, if you will, with growing up in a family business is you feel like you don't have a choice. Right. Right. And you so had a choice to some degree, but like come Christmas time retail, nobody had a choice. Right. Mom's working at the business, right. you know? Sure. So it was a pushback. But. So when did you start playing around with the mold? Um, the more responsibilities that dad gave me, um, I would ask, okay, why do we do it this way? And maybe it's just like, middle child syndrome i would always question Uh what he told me i never believed what he said and so (laughs) i'd try to like prove him wrong half the time and so it really just kind of got me down this rabbit hole of experimenting myself trying to find a bunch of research papers just get the answer for what's 
actually happening here because he learned everything from his father and had this almost like innate knowledge. Mm-hmm. But I wanted the scientific answer. Yeah. What? Let's talk something really basic. Why do people dry age beef? Like, is why do we need to dry age it? Yeah, you kind of said something about how it was more European, I guess. Or it. What does it do to the meat? Why well, are we so doing that? So it used to be a necessity in order to give you a longer period of time to move a full carcass, like preservation. Preservation. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You you hang the carcass. You take a piece at a time. The exterior of the carcass will protect the meat on the interior. And so you're trimming away when you're ready to move on to the next piece. You know, you're trimming the exterior. That's preserved. That's what made dry aging, I guess, a necessity. So let's talk a little bit about, again, let's jump into that mold Mold. conversation. What, you know, you say the word mold and food and people kind of cringe. It gets, Mm -hmm. they get nervous. It's bacteria. It's, you know, fungus. Talk Can you to reassure us, what, us Katie? <laughs> no, what are no what are you, what are the molds specifically and what's their effect on flavor and and how do you get the mold into your mm-hmm. those rooms? By the grace Does it of happen God. Naturally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, some of it is going to be just natural. It's going to be time. They're going to most likely originate on product that you're bringing in, but then depending on how you handle your rooms, you can either, you know, eradicate any sort of mold growth or you can let it flourish. Um, We chose the latter path of really encouraging the mold growth and safety, food safety, because you're right. That is a big one. And I think, um, interestingly enough, we will see it even with our USDA inspectors because we're a USDA facility. So we have inspectors come on site every single day. They switch out every six months. We one time had an inspector walk in, say, hi, I'm your new inspector. Let me, you know, see your spot here. We open the door to the dry aging room and and he just gasps, takes a step back and says, we have a problem here. This entire room needs to be condemned. This is all spoiled product. He actually said, like, I remember this. He said, you can smell the problem in here. I said, bro, this smells great. Right. Like, <laughs> you've got a problem. Right. Um, There's mold on this meat. We're going to lock this guy in the room. I, I know it. He even pulled out. They always carry these little like USDA rejected tags. So he was about to reject all of this product. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Okay, we need to hit the pause button right. here and have a discussion. Um, because there's not as much research into the safety aspect of mold as there is into bacteria. Because two totally different things, mm-hmm. right? Bacteria, single-celled organism, mold, multi-cell. In the beef world and a lot of like the protein world, there is this research paper called the Tomkin paper. Maybe I just call it the Tomkin paper that basically lists out the temperatures at which you need to keep product under to prevent the growth of pathogenic bacteria. And so that's what a lot of plants will use basically as their justification. Like the temperature danger zone. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Of saying, okay, if I am keeping product constantly below 44.6 degrees. I know that we're mitigating the risk of pathogenic bacteria. So we're cool here. That's my plan. There's no Tompkin paper equivalent for mold. And so there's not an easy way for a plant to justify to the USDA the quote unquote safety of the mold. And 
they they will not accept a lack of evidence of illnesses linked to dry aged beef as justification to say there is no you know potential risk of dry aged beef that makes sense yeah makes total sense total. so what would you call the flavor profile of i guess your dry aged beef i think approachable nutty warm i don't know i was thinking colors i feel like because mm. the the east coast dry aged beef that's like an angry blue right mm-hmm. yeah. ours is like a warm red yeah, yeah. It, like it's that. it's an approachable flavor that i mean i'll joke and i'll i'll call our 14 day dry age the goldilocks of dry age because it's got just the right amount of flavor where if you've never had dry aged beef you're not going to be off put and if you do enjoy dry aged beef, there's enough flavor there that you appreciate it. And you'll, what yeah. is the minimum and maximum days of age that you'll put on a Flannery steak? Um, minimum is is 14. So we always open, you know, at the end of the week and start cutting when primals are 14. So something that I call a 14 technically might be an 18. You know, don't kill me mm-hmm. on that. Maximum, we do a 28 as our max for restaurant customers on our retail for website, we go like 30, 35, just put a little bit more on there because those are consumers that are really, they know what they want. Yeah. They want that flavor development. Do you dry age? So New York strip is obviously a very popular mm-hmm. cut of steak for dry age, ribeye. What else is dry aged? Um, so you you can do whatever you want, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's really just a question of what's worth it at the end of the day, because dry aging is a destructive process. Um, you have a lot of moisture loss and you have a lot of trim loss. And for example, like a filet, you don't dry age a filet because it's, an, a very, it's a very expensive cut to begin with. It's incredibly tender to begin with. And when the packing house produces a filet, a pismo, there's no protective covering mm-hmm. on it. It doesn't have bone. It doesn't have fat, a little bit of silver skin. But so when you dry a filet, you're trimming 360 degrees all the way around that. You're going to have it, like nothing. Super, super tiny. Yeah. And, you know, you you double your cost to into the stratosphere. Right. And yes, I've done it. It's good, cooked i thought it was okay raw it was like freaking amazing i love would probably be like ridiculous it it, it would be amazing but you could get really close to it with something an eighth of the price and so so that's kind of the, the question that you have to ask yourself yes i can do this you can do whatever you want but is somebody gonna pay for it you know because we actually like for our retail website, we've been dredging hanger steak, which is typically a steak that mm-hmm. you would not yeah. dredge. And it's it's a good end product. I like it. We have a lot of great reception on our website. But when chefs ask me, can I get a sample of that? I'm kind of honest and, and say, you don't want this because the increase in the flavor doesn't necessarily justify the increase in the price in a restaurant setting. You've got to make your numbers on that plate. It's difficult to do. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. She is the dry age queen, Katie Flannery of Flannery Beef. Website is www.flannerybeef.com. Yep. The Instagram is at at Flannery Flannery Beef. Beef. 
Go on, watch the reels, check out Katie in action. And if you have an it's opportunity to eat this beef, the best dry aged beef you'll I've ever, ever have. had. It's 100%. it's just so great. So thank, thank you. you so much of for course. joining us. Yeah, no, awesome. thank you for the time. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. You can watch this episode on YouTube and see more behind-the-scenes content by following us. Find us on Instagram by searching at Ingredient Insiders. Mm-hmm.